The Terror of the Same The time in which there was such a thing as the other is over. The other as a secret, the other as a temptation, the other as eros, the other as desire, the other as hell and the other as pain disappear. The negativity of the other now gives way to the positivity of the same. The proliferation of the same constitutes the pathological changes that afflict the social body. It is made sick not by denial and prohibition, but by overcommunication and overconsumption. Not by suppression and negation, but by permissiveness and affirmation. The pathological sign of our times is not repression, but depression. Destructive pressure comes not from the other, but from within. Depression as internal pressure develops autoaggressive traits. The depressive performance subject is, as it were, beaten down or suffocated by the self. Not only the violence of the other is destructive, the expulsion of the other sets in motion an entirely different process of destruction, namely that of self-destruction. In general, the dialectic of violence applies. A system that rejects the ne negativity of the other develops self-destructive traits. The violence of the same is invisible because of its positivity. The proliferation of the same presents itself as growth. At a certain point, however, production is no longer productive, but destructive. Information is no longer informative, but deformative. And communication is no longer communicative, but merely cumulative. Today, perception itself takes the form of binge-watching. This refers to the consumption of videos and films without any temporal restrictions. The consumers are continuously offered those films and series that match their taste, and therefore please them. Like consumer livestock, they are fattened with ever-new sameness. Binge-watching can be generalized as the contemporary mode of perception. The proliferation of the same resembles not a carcinoma, but a coma, and does not meet with any immunological defenses. One goggles oneself into unconsciousness. The cause of an infection is the negativity of the other, who infiltrates the same and leads to the formation of antibodies. The infarction, on the other hand, comes from an excess of the same, from the obesity of the system. It is not infectious, but adipose. Fat creates no antibodies. No immunological defense can prevent the proliferation of the same. The negativity of the other provides form and measure for the self-same. Without it, the same proliferates. The self-same is not identical to the same. It always appears in tandem with the other. The same, by contrast, 
lacks a dialectical counterpart that can limit and form it, and thus proliferates into a formless mass. The selfsame has a form, an inner collectedness, an inwardness that is due to its difference from the other. The same, however, is formless. As it lacks dialectical tension, it leads to an indifferent collection, a sprawling mass of indistinguishability. We can only say the selfsame if we think difference. It is in the carrying out and settling of differences that the gathering nature of the selfsame comes to light. The selfsame banishes all zeal, always to level what is different, into the same. The selfsame gathers what is distinct into an original being at one. The same, on the contrary, disperses them into the dull unity of mere uniformity. The terror of the same affects all areas of life today. One travels everywhere, yet does not experience anything. One catches sight of everything, yet reaches no insight. One accumulates information and data, yet does not attain knowledge. One lusts after adventures and stimulation, but always remains the same. One accumulates online friends and followers, yet never encounters another person. Social media constitutes an absolute zero grade of the social. Total interconnection and total communication by digital means does not facilitate encounters with others. Rather, it serves to pass over those who are unfamiliar and other, and instead find those who are the same or like-minded, ensuring that our horizon of experience becomes ever narrower. It draws us into an endless ego loop, ultimately leading to an auto-propaganda indoctrinating us with our own ideas. The negativity of the other and of transformation is what constitutes experience in an emphatic sense. To have an experience of something means that this something befalls us, strikes us, comes over us, overwhelms us, and transforms us. Its essence is pain. The same, however, is not painful. Today, pain gives way to an online like, which continues the same. Information is simply available. Knowledge, in an emphatic sense, however, is a long and slow process. It displays an entirely different temporality. It matures. Maturation is a temporality that we are increasingly losing today. It is not compatible with today's politics of time, which fragments time and eliminates temporally stable structures in order to increase efficiency and productivity. Even the largest accumulation of information, big data, possesses very little knowledge. Big data is used to find correlations. A correlation states, when A occurs, B often also occurs. 
It is not known, however, why this is so. Correlation is the most primitive form of knowledge, being not even capable of ascertaining the relationship between cause and effect. It is so. The question of why becomes irrelevant. Thus, nothing is understood. But knowledge is understanding. Hence, vague data renders thought superfluous. We surrender ourselves without concern to the it is so. Thought has access to the entirely other. It can interrupt the same. Therein lies its event character. Calculation, on the other hand, is an endless repetition of the same. In contrast to thought, it cannot produce any new state. It is blind to the event. True thought, however, is eventful. The French word for digital is numérique. The numerical makes everything countable and comparable. Thus, it perpetuates the same. Insight, in an emphatic sense, is also transformative. It produces a new state of consciousness. Its structure resembles that of a redemption, providing more than the solution to a problem. It puts those in need of redemption in an entirely different state of being. In his text, Love and Knowledge, Max Scheler points out that Augustine ascribes to plants, in mysterious ways, a longing to be looked at by humans, as though what happens to plants through love-derived insight is a kind of analogue of redemption. If a flower had a fullness of being within itself, it would not feel a need to be looked at, hence it has a lack, a lack of being. The loving gaze, a love-derived insight, redeems it from the state of lack. It is thus an analog of redemption. Insight is redemption. It has a loving relation to its object as something other. This is where it differs from mere cognizance or information, which entirely lacks the dimension of the other. Negativity inheres in the event, for it brings with it a new relationship with reality, a new world, a new understanding of what is. It suddenly places everything in an entirely different light. Heidegger's forgetfulness of being means nothing other than this event blindness. Heidegger would say that today's communication noise the digital flurry of data and information deafens us to the noiseless roar of the truth, to its silent violence. A roar, it is truth itself stepped upon mankind, right into the metaphor flurry. The beginnings of the digital revolution were dominated above all by utopian projects. Flusser, for example, elevated digital interconnection to the technology of altruism. 
Being human, then, means being connected to others. Digital interconnection supposedly enables a special experience of resonance. Everything resonates sympathetically. The net vibrates. It is a pathos. It is a resonance. That is the foundation of telematics, the sympathy and antipathy of proximity. I believe that telematics is a technology of altruism, a technology for the implementation of Judeo-Christianity. The basics of telematics is empathy. It eliminates humanism in favor of altruism. The mere fact that this is possible is already quite colossal. Today, the net changes into a special resonant place, an echo chamber purged of all otherness, all foreignness. True resonance presupposes the proximity of the other. Today, the proximity of the other gives way to the gaplessness of the same. Global communication only permits equal others or other equals. Distance is inscribed in closeness as its dialectical counterpart. The abolition of distance does not create more closeness, but rather destroys it. Instead of closeness, a complete gaplessness ensues. Closeness and distance are interwoven, kept together by a dialectical tension. This tension consists in the fact that things are given life precisely by their opposite, by that which is other than themselves. A mere positivity like gaplessness lacks this animating force. Closeness and distance dialectically mediate each other like the self-same and the other. Thus, neither gaplessness nor the same are alive. Digital gaplessness removes all varieties of proximity and distance. Everything is equally near and equally far. Trace and aura. The trace is appearance of a nearness, however far removed the thing that left it may be. The aura is appearance of a distance, however close the thing that calls it forth. The negativity of the other the foreign, the enigma, inheres in the aura. The digital society of transparency de-auratizes and demystifies the world. Overclosness and overexposure, as the general pictorial effect of porn, destroy any erotic distance, which also characterizes the erotic. In porn, All bodies are alike. They also consist of equal body parts. Robbed of all language, the body is reduced to the sexual, which knows no difference apart from gender. The pornographic body is no longer a sight, a sumptuous theater, the fabulous surface of the inscription of dreams and divinities. It relates nothing. It does not seduce. Pornography carries out a complete denarrativization 
and delingualization, not only of the body, but of communication, communication as such. Therein lies its obscenity. It is impossible to play with the naked flesh. Play requires an illusion, an untruth. Naked pornographic truth permits no play, no seduction. Sexuality as functional performance likewise drives out all forms of play. It becomes entirely mechanical. The neoliberal imperative of performance, sexiness, and fitness ultimately reduces the body to a functional object that is to be optimized. The proliferation of the same is the full through which only the empty appears. The expulsion of the other produces an adipose emptiness of fullness. What is obscene is the hypervisibility, hypercommunication, hyperproduction, and hyperconsumption that lead to a rushing standstill of the same. What is obscene is the perpetual engendering of the same by the same. Seduction, by contrast, is the power to tear the same away from the same, to make it deviate from itself. The subject of seduction is the other. Its mode is play as the counter-mode to performance and production. Today, even play is transformed into a form of production. Work is gamified. Charlie Kaufman's stop-motion film, Anomalisa, mercilessly depicts today's hell of sameness. It could equally have been called longing for the other or in praise of love. In the hell of sameness, no desire for the other is possible. The protagonist, Michael Stone, is a successful motivation trainer and author. His best-selling volume is entitled, How Can I Help You Help Them? A typical self-help guide for the neoliberal world. The book is universally acclaimed because it considerably increases productivity. Despite his success, he finds himself in a major existential crisis. He seems lonely, lost, bored, disillusioned, and disoriented in a meaningless, monotonous, polished society of consumerism and performance. Its denizens all have the same face and speak in the same voice. The voice of the taxi driver, the waitress, or the hotel manager is identical to that of his wife or his ex-girlfriend. The face of a child is no different from that of an adult. The world is peopled by clones, yet each paradoxically wants to be different from the others. Michael goes to Cincinnati to give a lecture. At the hotel, he hears a woman's voice that sounds entirely different. He knocks at the door of what he assumes to be her room. He finds her. To his surprise, she recognizes him. She has come to Cincinnati to hear his lecture.
has not only a different voice, but also a different face. Yet, she finds herself ugly as her face deviates from the optimized standard one. She is also chubby and has a facial scar that she tries to hide behind her hair. But Michael falls in love with her, with her different voice, with her otherness, with her anomaly. Intoxicated with love, he calls her Anomalisa. They spend the night together. In a nightmare, Michael is pursued by completely identical hotel staff who want to have sex with him. He wanders through a hell of sameness. At breakfast, he is alarmed to find that Lisa's voice is becoming increasingly like the standard voice. He returns home. The desert of sameness is everywhere. His family and friends welcome him, but he cannot tell them apart. They are all the same. Totally confused, he finds himself looking at an old Japanese sex doll that he bought for his son at a sex shop. Her mouth is wide open, ready to fillet. In the final scene, Lisa affirms her love for Michael as if from another world, seemingly liberated from the spell of sameness, in which everyone is given back their own voice and their own face. Lisa tells him in passing that Anomalisa means sky goddess in Japanese. Anomalisa is the epitome of the other who saves us from the hell of sameness. She is the other as Eros. In that hell of sameness, humans are nothing but remote-controlled puppets. It therefore makes sense that the film was indeed made with puppets, not real actors. The treacherous cracks in Michael's face make him sense that he is now only a puppet. In one scene, part of his face falls off. He holds the piece of his mouth, which automatically babbles something. He is shocked by the fact that he is a puppet. Buchner's statement that we are puppets, drawn with wire by unknown forces, nothing, nothing is ourselves, could probably have served as the film's tagline. The violence of the global and terrorism. Globalization has an inherent violence that makes everything interchangeable, comparable, and thus the same. Ultimately, this total equalization leads to a negation of meaning. Meaning is something incomparable. Yet money creates neither meaning nor identity. The violence of the global as the violence of the same destroys the negativity of the other of the singular, of the incomparable, which impairs the circulation of information, communication, and capital. It is precisely where the same encounters the same that the circulation reaches its highest velocity. The violence of the global, which levels out everything into the same and establishes a hell of sameness, produces a destructive counterforce.
John Baudrillard has already pointed out that the madness of globalization creates terrorists as madmen. This would mean that the prison camp at Guantanamo Bay corresponds to the asylums and prisons of that repressive disciplinary society which itself produces delinquents and psychopaths. With terrorism, something has happened that points beyond the immediate intention of its actors to systemic fractures. It is not the religious itself that drives people to terrorism. Rather, it is the resistance of the singular to the violence of the global. A defense against terror that is directed at particular regions and groups of people is therefore a helpless substitute act. Invoking the enemy likewise conceals the true problem, which has a systemic cause. It is the terror of the global itself that produces terrorism. The violence of the global sweeps away all singularities that do not submit to universal exchange. Terrorism is the terror of the singular against the terror of the global. Death which eludes all exchange, is the epitome of the singular. In the shape of terrorism, it bursts brutally into the system where life is totalized as production and performance. Death is the end of production. The glorification of death by the terrorists and today's health hysteria, which attempts to prolong life as mere life at all costs, are mutually dependent. Al-Qaeda's motto draws attention to this systemic connection. You love life, we love death. John Baudrillard refers to the architectural particularity of the Twin Towers, which had already been the target of an Islamic terrorist attack in 1993. Whereas the high-rise buildings of the Rockefeller Center reflect the city and the sky in their glass and steel fronts, the Twin Towers have no connection to the outside, no connection to the other. The two twin buildings which resemble each other and reflect each other form a closed system. Thus the same established itself in a total exclusion of the other. The terrorist attack puts cracks in this global system of sameness. Today's reawakening nationalism, the New Right, or the Identitarian Movement, are likewise reflex reactions to the dominance of the global. It is no coincidence, therefore, that the followers of the New Right are not only xenophobic, but also critical of capitalism. Both the national romantic praise of borders and Islamic terrorism follow the same reactive schema in the face of the global.